and welcome back to the book and life podcast today we're going to have a brand new book guest on whether they're an author an editor a producer you'll never quite know so you're in for one hell of a ride but today i just have to uh do the adverts and then i'll get us straight into that most important conversation and as as we do every week um i'm going to read the shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for even, struggling to cope with tragic loss, at odds with friends in the guard. He finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. Now we're going to have somebody that Phil Reed told me about. And I have talked to her a lot on Facebook, which I never actually thought I would. You've all heard from her, so now you got to hear from somebody even more amazing. So, before I get any further excited and I overdo this too much, please all welcome Perry Maxwell. Please tell me I said that right. You did. Woohoo! Yes! I have six for six now? Every time I get it wrong, I reset. So, yeah. You did. Hello, everybody. It's so weird when they don't say anything back, isn't it? it the, is love, the love of podcasting. <laughs> so you've bit. you've got a beautiful Victorian story. And you've just done an anthology. So I'm going to ask you about the anthology first. And then will you tell us about your new two books that's just come out? So, what would you like to know about the anthology? Let's start with your anthology, and then we'll uh, talk about your Victorian books, if that's okay. okay. Yes. So, the anthology that I was in with Phil and uh, Tara Hogarth, 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 I think it's Hogarth, Tara Hogarth, Stephanie Patterson, um, Donna Malloy, and 
I think we all Anybody forget. Wanna, you may just want to skip that part. You may want to edit that part out. Um, the, the anthology is called Tales of Timeless Romance, and it was part of Dragon Blade's, uh, Dragon Blade Publishing's uh, Write Stuff Contest. We were the first, the top six places in the first Write Stuff Contest that they had done. Cool. The theme of the anthology was stories inspired by or based on real life or mythical love stories. So, Phil, of course, followed up her Arthur trilogy, or mm -hmm. her Arthur book, not trilogy, her Arthur, her Arthur series. Arthur series with the tale of how Arthur came to be. And two others did Robin Hood stories. And then unbeknownst to me, Stephanie, Stephanie and I both did books based on, uh, stories based on Elizabeth Barrett Browning and Robert Browning's Robin Stephanie oh. turned hers into painters and sculptors, I believe. Mine, and an art critic, mine was, I kept mine as poetic, but I also mashed up You've got mail into the Browning stories. I love that. Yeah. I love rom coms. Um, and that's one of my favorites uh, because I like the fact that one of them is in on a scam and the other one has no idea. And you can watch how everything turns around. Um, and I love the Browning stories because it has that factor in there that you can't make up. In that they did fall in love through writing letters because, and he sent her a fan letter yeah. the first time. Um, their parents did not approve of them marrying, so they eloped. Right. And they, they eloped, and then they pretended for a week not to be married. She went back to her father's house like nothing had happened while Robert made arrangements for them to go live in Italy, which is where her doctor had suggested she go live and her father would not believe. Right. So, basically, they eloped twice. Um, because they got married the first time and the second time they went to Italy. And I just, when I read that, I thought, okay, that's my story. Yes. Because since I'm from America, my other epic love story that I was considering was Bonnie and Clyde, and I couldn't quite figure out how to get Bonnie and Clyde a happy ending <coughs> in 30 oh. words. Yeah, no, that, that is, that's a challenge. Yes, that is a challenge. Yeah, so I, I totally understand where you're coming from with that one. I would be quite, I'd be struggling too. I'd be like, ah. So, so. but no, the, brown, the brownings are perfect. Except for the fact that I didn't want to steal their poetry, so I had to come up with poetry, and I'm a really awful poet. Oh, so okay. I did much better at my hero's poetry because she's supposed to be bad at it um, than I did with hers. Yeah. And then the next, the two books that I have out now with Dragon Blade are part of another series, a full-length series, 
that are called Enterprising Women that follow three women through early Victorian Britain in Norfolk County, or the county of Norfolk. I'm never I'm quite sure how Britain say that. Um, who are changing the way they work in a society that has a very limited view of what women can do. And they are mm. forging their own roles, either as the first book is his Enterprising Duchess, which deals with an innkeeper. The second and the second one that's just just now coming out is about a a baron's daughter who is starting her own whiskey distillery. Um, it all revolves around the fact that there is a society in London, the London Ladies, London Circle, Charity Circle, that operates as a charity, but also lends money to young women who want to start their own business and take control of their life. And all of the women operate behind the stillman so that the society believes the man runs the business and the women are employees when it is the other way around. I love the way that you've done that. I think it's so unique and so special. I think it's amazing. I, I've, I've really had a lot of fun with looking at how my heroes in these books come to realize that these women who they don't think who they think need to be rescued are actually rescuing themselves. Yeah. And back then it was such a difficult time to do that. So, yeah. yeah. I just, I, I'm a mad Victorian person, honestly. Um, and in any way I can connect to Victorian times, I love it. Because I, I kind of grew up with the whole needlework and sitting, you know, having cups of tea and drinking out of porcelain cups and pouring tea and, and how, how that is important. And I'm a huge fan of Catherine Cookson. So she kind of grew up at the end of that, where it was kind of her start, you know, as a housemaid and then going into, the, you know, the war and then coming out the war. And she, her books really kind of targeted inequality to women, domestic abuse, racism. And I know the fans are sick of hearing about her. But she's my favorite for that because she really does feel like a warm, cozy jumper that you put on on a cold day. You can read her work and you, even though you know she's writing how she speaks and there's so much dyslexia in there, you still can read her work and fall in love with it and follow it to the latter, to the end. Um, and it, I find her exciting. So anytime I find anybody that's sort of in the same vein as her, I get... I get OTT excited and I'm like, woohoo! So yeah, um, I love it. And I love the company because like when I research, I research everyone I bring on because I have to. Because um, sometimes like you need, you need questions to ask people because they always get nervous when they're coming on and they're not sure and all that kind of stuff. And I just fell in love with your company. I was like, wow, like this is, this is a real historical fiction romance publisher I was like wow so yeah I, I I had to I definitely had to give you props when I saw it because I'm like I would love to give my historical stuff done however I have either watered it down because everyone's told me that 
you know, oh, we need to be able to read it, or I've had the opposite of, oh, why are you not doing it with their words and, you know, their accents and stuff. So, yeah, I, uh, I love it to find legitimate companies that actually own, wants to own their writer's voice rather than force their voice and their opinion onto you, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's one of the reasons why I was so excited that Dragon Blade, first of all, selected me for the anthology, but second, that I'm able to work with them on these books because when I started reading the compromise from their authors, I knew that this was a fit for the stories that I wanted to tell because these these stories are slightly out of the box, at least from what I normally read, in that there's not a one-day season, there's not a matchmaker, matchmaker mother. Um, in the first book, the mothers are anything but matchmakers, and, and uh, to Enterprise and Justice, the mothers are working to keep this male and family apart any way they possibly can. Yeah. Um, so... But there's not a season, there's not a matchmaker, there's not a bunch of balls and, or anything like that. It's very much working class village Britain. Um, yeah. And that was not going to be an easy sell to a larger publisher. Plus, I didn't have a large enough name to attract a publisher with those stories. Uh, Dragon Blade has given me a chance to expand that and to pursue something that I find interesting both historically and as a romance author. Uh, and they do a phenomenal job of promoting their authors, of helping the authors learn more about the craft and about marketing themselves and building basically their own business. And mm -hmm. uh, they're fabulous. And I think all authors need that, and especially since, like, COVID and everything's changed again in our industry. And our industry changes a lot anyway, so it was just, like, almost like it's just somebody dropped a bombshell from, like, a very hard, large height, and we all kind of scrambled to recollect ourselves and find ourselves, and, you know, some companies shut down and other companies opened, and you just kind of felt, like, it, for an indie author, you just kind of felt like, oh. <laughs> you know, like, this is insane. Well, so it's also, good to see that. It also really affected, for me, I have a day job, and so I was working from home, and it was very difficult to work at a desk all day and yeah. turn off that side and stay at the desk and pick up the system writing. And so it's, it's really kind of it's made me entrench a little more and it's made writing fiction actually for me a little harder. I have to focus yeah. more. And I have to find now I have an office. I built an office. I made an office to write in. Um, and I can't write in it because when I sit down, I was supposed to read it before. And so yeah. now I have to write somewhere else. It's, it's hard. It is yeah. hard. I have this lucky spot in my sofa, the corner of my sofa, that I can plug my laptop in and just put it literally in my lap in the living room, and I draft all of my books from the lucky spot in my sofa, because for some reason, it doesn't matter what's going on around
can tune all of that out and I can write. And if I if I'm yeah. by myself in the house, which happens less because my husband retired early, but if I'm by myself in the house and I just turn on Spotify and turn off the television in there, I I can write for hours there. Where yeah. I can't do that. It's like there's a spring in my office chair. But the minute I sit down and think of something else I have to do, and I can't. Yeah, and I think it's hard because my my husband, we actually moved to a very small place. And this was a temporary place, but we got stuck here. And, you know, he was always like, oh, the spare room, that'll be, that'll be your, like, your place, your off, your author place. Like, you can do your podcast there, the cats won't harass you, you know, it'll be your area. And he kind of stole it <laughs> for himself. So I don't have that. So I have this little armchair and I'm expected to, I like, I have the sofa and I have the armchair. So I kind of move during the day. So if I like, I'll work for a little bit in the armchair and then I'll work in the sofa for a bit. And it just moving between the two can sometimes be, make a huge difference. Yeah. So if I'm plodding in one chair and I move to the other chair, my brain knows, okay, this is the chair to write in. This is the chair to plot in. I go to bed. I don't write at all. I had to teach myself that because that's sleep time and I need to ch I need to chill I need to chill otherwise my brain's just gonna fry um, you know and especially if my husband works late driving buses sometimes so it's like you're kind of waiting up for him just to know he's gotten in okay yeah. but like you're also thinking of things that you want to write and you're like no I gotta wait for tomorrow this is my time, so do up the family Christmas gifts. Just take it, take it easy. So I have that kind of inner, inner battle all the time where I'm like, so yeah. Um, and now my mom, my I actually talked to my mom to go into getting an HND, which she graduates in October. Yay! So good her. Um, and then I graduate if I can in two years it'll be two years and i will graduate with my bachelor's so well, congratulations. Yeah. yes i'm in year three um so far i have passed by the skin of my teeth but uh, i class it as a win because they said i would never get higher education because of my dyslexia so yeah and that was another thing like phil told me about the great support she gets with being in your company and that gave me hope because, um, as I said to you off, off air, I've had some awful experiences this year with publishers who say, I don't want to work with you because of your learning difficulties. And I think, um, I like to use this podcast as a, hey, you know, let's, let's stop judging people by what they can't do and see, look at them for what they can do. Is there a huge lovable plot there? Is there characters that you fall in love with there? Is it worth editing to get it to perfection, to make it a good book to sell? Those are the things that, you know, I feel companies should be looking at, not looking at, oh, well, she's got grammar issues. Oh, well, she's got spelling issues. Oh, well, this is wrong. Oh, well, this, that's wrong. Yeah, there's some things that can't be saved, but if you think you can save it and make it into something that's going to do well, I always say try you know, especially if that person's willing to put in the time and the effort, exactly. you know, it's always worth it. Um, 
so yeah i i try and sort of like promote that from the british writing uh, association side of things because i know so many writers out there listen here and think oh i can't do it because of this or that and i'm telling you no you can do it you just gotta believe in yourself and it'll all click into place i had a more minor issue than that when i was younger when i was First year of high school, yeah. We would call that first year of high school. Okay, so first year of high school, I had a, or second year of high school, I guess. It was the second year of high school. I had a teacher for literature and English that I admired a great deal. We had a creative writing assignment. And I knew my creative writing assignment was not good. I had waited until the last minute to do it. It was rambling, it was a mess, I knew it wasn't good. And I told her at the beginning of class, before class started, I said, please don't ask me to read this because it's not good. And yep. she called on me to read it. And I did. And she looked at me and she said, you're right. That really wasn't good at all. This is not creative. Yeah. And that stuck. Mm-hmm. Until, well, it stuck my whole life until recently. Yeah. And I never tried to write creatively again. My, my graduate degree is in technical writing. So that I could continue to write, but I wrote, I wrote legal documents and yeah. instructions and presentations and not creatively mm-hmm. um, for that reason. And so one day I had a story come into my head and it was like, okay, I'm going to try this. Yeah. And if it sucks, no one has to know. No, because it's your own personal thing, yeah. And I can put it under the bed and I will tell you that it is bad. I did not know anything about craft. It is a head-hopping nightmare. There is no plot. It is full of cliches. But by the end of it, I thought, okay, I've done this. Mm-hmm. I've done it. And the very next day, I had an idea for a new story. Um, and that one turned into the first published book that I have under another pseudonym as romantic suspense. And wow. that got me started down that journey and learning more about my craft and learning more about how to be good at what I enjoy. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I, I would say that if you have a story in you, um, if you, if you had a desire to do this, learn all you can, mm-hmm. but don't let it, don't let anybody else tell you you can't do it. I mean, I, I was lucky. I had the opposite. I had this first year, second year teacher. And he was amazing. He really was. He went, Crystal, the detail in this you've put in, holy, I wouldn't have thought this. Like, I literally created a Chinese garden that he walked through. And it, the, the assignment was, write your happiest place. You could imagine your happiest place and you could create it. Now you got to put it, describe it to me, is, is how he did it. And I did, and even though I'm dislikes, even though he was like, you have no understanding of grammar, he loved the fact that the colors were there. He could see it, he could smell it, he could taste it, he knew exactly what it was like, and that to him was like, wow. And I thought he was, uh, I thought he was winding me up a little bit, 
second year came and we sort of we started moving into serious classes and I got a woman who said that my English was atrocious, just like you. Um, and she would pick on me a lot for book reviews because I was terrible at book reviews because I read slower than everybody else. Um, you know, I, I can only read 20 to 40 pages a day because I have eye strain that was never diagnosed till recently. And uh, it, that to me was crazy. But I stuck with it because at 18 I met Debbie Glory, who's a famous Scottish author. And our, we had to write a short story about one sentence. The Forgotten Door, right? So it was all around this idea of the Forgotten Door. And I won the 18 and over contest. And I met her. And she said, Crystal, don't ever stop writing. You've got a gift. You need to get published. And I thought, where the hell am I going to get published in Shetland? You know, this that, that's insane. It's just not going to happen. And yes, there is a publisher in Shetland, but... That's for the Shetland Writers Group, and I, I had no idea about joining anything like that. I, I did drama, I did all this other stuff, and uh, it wasn't until I moved in with Ian, and Ian went, you want to publish? Let's publish. Um, and that's when I started to, to sort of search, and I've been writing now for, gosh, thir 13 years, 13 years it's been, and I, I look back on it, and I think... I've got, what, six, six, eight novels out, and I know from experience that even though these indie authors, like, these publishers took a chance on me, I had a traditional contract once with an English publisher, and I, you know, I've ticked, I'm ticking the boxes as I go, things I want to succeed, but I can still sit down with my daughter or my son one day and say, hey, mommy was an author, and the... You know, when you see her furiously slamming her fingers into a keyboard, this is what she's doing. It's not not some weird thing. I, I must admit I must lock the, you know, find a lockable cabinet for the writing. You know, make sure that they can't read my notes and my, my plots and my breakdowns and stuff like that. Because I think, um, I think I would scare them a little bit. So, <laughs> uh, a lockable cupboard is is my future plans. But yeah, I, I like that idea of, you know, I never quit. And then I started this. And I started this in the middle of university, which was not smart on my behalf. But I went, okay, let's do this. And it, it's really opening that door for people. And it's giving people a chance. And I'm so honored to have you on because then I can turn to people and say, hey, I researched this this company. I feel comfortable enough in saying to you guys, hey, okay, I'm not published here, but I would recommend if you're writing this sets of genres, take a look at them and see if this is somewhere that you might feel like you fit in. And, you know, you know, take a risk. See where it goes. Yes. Always. So, yeah, uh, so that that's my endorsement for you guys. Uh, I I I hope that it helps. So uh, going into the book portion of the podcast, what book have you read recently that you would say has stuck with you the most? What has really gotten into your head and you just can't shake it? I have a couple. Um, off off broadcast, I mentioned to you uh, Sandra C. King's Storm Series. 
which sounds fabulous. Oh, it's, it it's amazing. Does. They're they're amazing. Um, they follow a family that deals with different health issues and how those issues shape them. But also, I like the fact that not all of them are magically cured when they find them. Um, right. That the people they love help them come to terms with whatever the health issue is. Um, yeah. And the one that I read recently, I think it's called The Fury of a Storm. I think that's the name of it. Uh, where the heroine is dyslexic. And her family has no idea how to deal with that. Um, and her parents make some decisions before the book ever starts that greatly affect the heroine's development. And when the hero comes along, it isn't that he wishes to fix her. It's that he wishes to give her a safe place to be herself and recover. Yeah. Um, and how their relationship unfolds based on that. Um, and it was just beautifully done. So a romance fan of that one. Um, there's also one by Grace Burroughs, and I want to think, I want to say it's called The Kids' Disaster. And I was reading that on the way back from a trip, and I got so involved in the book, I almost missed my friend. Oh no! But it's sort of along the same lines in that the um, heroine has, um, is dealing with, I want to say it's a sexual assault. Right. And she's not comfortable with the hero. Um, and so he actually gives her a knife and teaches her how to throw it and how to defend herself. So that wow. she will be safe she will feel safe in his house because she will know that no one will take advantage of her. I yeah. love that I love that aspect of that story. It was a completely different aspect of how to um, on the non-romance side, and I, uh, first of all, I will tell you all day long, I will recommend Grace Burroughs to anybody who wants to read romance. Yes. She's incredible. Um, and she's also a very nice person. I've met her on a couple of occasions, and she is just so approachable and so friendly. And anytime, for me, anytime somebody has, you know, New York Times bestseller in front of their name, or bestseller, USA Today bestseller. Anybody who's got bestseller in front of them, I'm immediately my best. And uh, I think they're never going to talk to this, you know, movie writer from Arkansas. That you know, basically the first time I met her, the only thing I could think of to say was, hey, tell your great stories, you know. And uh, but she's just the sweetest person to talk to. Um, and very, very, giving of her time. But off romance, anything by temperature. The Dresden Files is my favorite series. I read those like they're candy. Um, and I love his character development and his story writing. Um, the plot points, uh, his pacing, he is a master at pacing. I cannot get enough of those. I read those books. I 
for an urban fantasy genre to, for me to tell you that one of those books made me cry and I think it was all almost through the whole thing is not something I expect out of urban fantasy but it was some of the most touching writing I have ever read and again a very nice book but those books if you know some of the, I, I'm looking for a good author and if you're new with me I've given out more copies of his first book to get people help and yeah. Yes. Well, I've just started um, a brand new author. It was an arc that was given to me called Exiles, which is out February next. Well, it'll be already out by the time this comes out. And it's done by a Jane Harper. And I never, never heard of Jane Harper. She's an Australian author. And I think it's supposed to be a thriller. Uh, and it's done really well. It's a, it's a very kind of hmm, who who done it? But I'm also reading a Regency romance by Sarah Mallory, and it's called The Duke's Family for Christmas. And that one is not your typical standard Regency. It it really has something different about it, and the female's quite different. You know, she's not. She's not your average Harlequin romance uh, heroine. She's a bit more, you know, you feel like your heart's in your mouth with her a little bit. And especially when she's she's fighting to save her best friend's kid, um, who she's raised for seven, eight years, and now has to give, to, give him up to his real father. Um, and what does that involve? Like, you know, is she ever going to see him again? And is she going to lose that piece of her and what's going on with him why is she so attracted to him even though he's trying to destroy her life um it's incredible i just did not expect that when i picked it up because i was like oh it's a harlequin and then i was like oh wait this is this is like so much more than i thought it was going to be like okay like what am i getting into so yeah those are the two that i recommend at the moment um as you all know, I have hundreds of books that comes in that I need to review for the podcast. But yeah, I think I think those have been really good. And I'm still making my way through some amazing wartime stuff by Nancy Revel. I think you would really like her. And it's about the women of the shipyards. And, you know, you follow these, uh, these six women as they kind of try and live through the war. And the things that they have to do to protect each other the things that they have to see and you know there's she sort of deals with domestic abuse and she deals with um these really traumatic awful events um but her series is just finished and yeah i couldn't recommend nancy revel enough she was on our podcast um and it was really good i i was just totally like what so if you're if you're wanting to try something she 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 is worth it and she really did she grew up in the area so she knew all the stories she went to the actual shipyard that she set it in um and she took all her history that she really researched it and she made it an incredible series and she's actually a uk bestseller i don't know if she's a new york bestseller but she is a uk bestseller um but she's the most down-to-earth writer you'll ever meet totally totally down earth and I know when I finally get my button gear and I finish the World War II story I'm working on she said she'd be first in line to quote me so 
was like, yay! Um, and I've got a few actually friends that uh, they're willing to quote me, depending on obviously the uh, the genre that I'm writing, because you know you don't want to have a crime writer quoting uh, historical or or something like that, um, because it doesn't kind of work the way you think it does. So. Um, You forgot. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. I remember the title, just not the author. I love that because, like, I do that all the time. I'm like, oh damn it, I know an author this person will like, and then I'm like. <sighs> There's a British author over here called Fiona Cummings, and honestly, if you start reading her, you can't put anything there. Like, I did a review for her, she had a book out this year, and it was called Into the Dark, and I honestly couldn't stop reading. I was like, huh, huh, gotta know, gotta know, and it, I couldn't figure out who it was. She totally, like, pulled the wool over my eyes and everything, so. Yeah. But don't worry, I am doing a list for you. So when you can come off the air, there'll be an email in your inbox from me saying, other recommendations, links to the show. <laughs> oh, great. Wonderful. I always do that, though. Like, um, one of my friends said, oh my gosh, Crystal, I came off your podcast and bought like 60 books. Hey, I know. I'm all, my husband keeps looking at me going, more books? You're buying more books? Yeah, more books. My house is like a library. Cause I, I, if I get like an arc, I don't, I don't give up arcs. I keep arcs till they fall apart and then I let, sadly let them go. But, um, I keep arcs and I keep my favorites. And if, if an author signed a book, I can't let it go to the charity shop. I can't, I can't do it. So I have first editions and I have signed copies and I have books to read. My TBR is so large now. You oh. could probably make a fort with me in it. Um, um yeah. I turned our I turned our formal living room into a library, so I have like I think 
think I measured it once. It's like 72 feet with six shelves all wow. over one wall. Um, yeah, you just, you're just making me envious. It, it can't be 72 feet. But it's three bookshelves the length of one wall. My husband reads um, almost exclusively World War II nonfiction. So oh. he has part of that shelf for his books. The rest of them are mine. And then upstairs in my writing office are all of my craft books. So that yeah. they are right there next to me. So I have two bookshelves in that. And that when we have company come over, I have to figure out where to stash all of the books so that they can actually like, move around the room. <laughs> that would be me as well. I'd be absolutely excited. I'd be in your library looking through your books. Like, <laughs> and, and, I can't um, help myself. I just can't. My mother and my aunt came to visit in January, and they were looking for something to read to go to bed. And I kind of looked at my aunt and said, what do you like to read? And she mentions that she goes on and says, I really like, I, I read, just read something from Mary Kay Andrews. And I said, I have a Mary Kay Andrews. I met her at a book showing when we were on vacation a couple of years ago at the beach. Hang on just a minute. Let me just go get that for you. So, <laughs> like, okay, I'm my own personal librarian now. I know, like, it, it's, it's weird. Like, I have my own family comes in, and my aunt, she shares my love and passion for books. And I was staying in Shetland, and I gave her two huge bags of books. And she's like, oh, my goodness, I've got no space. But she loved the fact that I gave her books I knew she'd love, books I knew she'd get into. Um, and the fact that I do this podcast is even more exciting to her because she's like, I talk books all the time now. Like, I've gone from being her baby niece to, you know, the one she sees hiding behind her curtains to now being like the growing up niece that she has lunch with and she goes shopping with and she appreciates her, her opinion on stuff. And I'm like, wait, I'm like 33. It only took like a long time for her to see me as a grown-up but it's great and it's just through that connection of of, of books and, and novels and not not giving up and my dad was always embarrassed to tell her I was writing um but yeah it's when she so when she comes here to my mom's um graduation I am considering taking one of my novels uh, and signing it and giving it to her but the only problem is my my novels are a little steamy, so I'm like, can um, I get away with that? <laughs> I, I mean, I always tell my family, it's like, look, just know, I mean, basically skip chapters X, Y, and Z, and read the rest of the book. But See, the, the, the book I'm giving her is um, an erotic author who's an erotic author convention, and the guy that she ends up involved with is a wrestler who's wrestling in the same town but he's stuck in the hotel of the, the erotica conference and the two of them are butting heads so it's not like I can say right skip this this and this it's kind of like just skip the whole book <laughs> yes. but that was my last release so I'm like with my oops romantic, with my romantic suspense book my husband will say do you have a copy of this book that I can give somebody at work or yeah. you know, a friend or whatever and I will look at him and I go, are they okay with sex and swearing? And the first time I did that, he goes, well, yeah, I think so. And he stopped and goes, wait a minute, how much sex is in here? <laughs> you love it when the husband doesn't listen. 
Can I just state, mine's does the same, but he doesn't like, he, he doesn't like give my stuff out. But um, when I started talk, when I started doing stuff for the tour, we went on book tour together. He knew the novel better than anyone because I have to practice reading aloud before I actually read aloud because I miss words or I skip over words. And I was just like, I was so nervous that I kept reading passages from the book to him. And he's like, what? wait, what? Like, there's so much of it was just hot, but it wasn't like in your face steam. It was like sensually steaming. I, <laughs> he was just sort of like, every sort of just in his t-shirt <laughs> he's like what's she doing this for like yeah. you know but he liked the fact that I took that running jump and you know I was one of the first people to do wrestling romance together it's not really heard of and uh, so I ended up a sports romance writer and see trying to get out of that and into something else it's, it's very difficult actually it was it was a difficult it wasn't a difficult jump for me. Um, Craft-wise, it was. You know, I I started as a romantic suspense author under another name. Um, my sales weren't great, and so I had to start over. And yeah. I knew. I mean, the Regency romance, the Victorian romance, historical romance is what I need to find. Right. Um, it's it's just. That's always been my comfort genre. I mean, I'll pick up almost anything, but if I want to read romance, it's probably going to be, as my friend calls it, a long dress book. Uh, and so when I was looking at a new genre, she dared me to try this. Okay. Uh, and I was terrified because most regions and most historical romances are set in Britain. I live in Arkansas. I yeah. I in Britain. Um, so. To the British people who read my books and wonder how on earth I came up with this, please forgive me, I'm sorry. <laughs> so far. Um, but um, I knew when I was flying, I couldn't have people necessarily run for their lives in a, in a Regency book um, as much as I could in a normal society. Um, I knew I was going to have to have those societal strictures in there some way. Even if my character was working on So I had to right. give myself an education on that. And I had to make, I, I wanted to make sure that I got it as right as I could. Um, because I also know as a fan of historic fiction, historical fiction, that historical fiction readers really don't want you, they want to make sure that you get things right. Yes. Um, They're very strict. They, and, and so that was very daunting to me. I had a lot more leeway if I wrote contemporary than I yeah, did if I historical. Um, so that was a challenge for me in changing genres. But once I did, and once I could figure out a plot that was much more, I, what I want to say was internal, but yeah. there are still external forces in there. Um, but it's not someone trying to kill me. Mm -hmm. Because you can do that now in Regency where, where they're hiding from people, but it isn't the same as what you normally think of as normal people. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've 
I'm looking forward to the challenge of jumping. Um, but I'm I'm also slightly scared. <laughs> I'm scared of doing it. I'm like, mm. um, you know, and, and any book when you turn it loose to readers, uh, it's like, and I apologize to parents because I'm not one. But for me, I've always equated it to too many times things happen. You know, sending yeah. a child into the front yard, hoping they don't get in the road. Um, mm-hmm. Or you're sending them to the first day of school, and you're hoping that everyone is kind to them. Yes. Um, but you're not there to know that. Um, yes. So there's, with, with, with any release, and especially in a new genre, where it's, you know, it's scary. It's scary for an author. It's, we don't put this out and go, oh yeah, everybody's going to love it. Generally, with me, when I do that, it's like, boy, I... I like that. I mean, one of the novels that I read that made me feel like, okay, I want to take a risk and I want to write, um, you know, I loved Catherine, but I actually read a woman called Mary Bronton, who is uh, the author of Self-Care or Self-Control. And that was the book that inspired Jane Austen and she was from Orkney and uh, so so I'm from Shetland so we're very close neighbors and I could see that she had dyslexia which kind of stands out and it kind of inspired me to go okay she can do it like maybe she inspired Jane you know not only just Jane Austen but she's also maybe inspired Catherine Crookson and if you look at the sarcasm that you get in Jane you also get that in Mary. So it's almost like having a second Catherine. Uh, not a second Catherine, a second Jane. But a much earlier Jane. And the book that I, I read of hers was called Self-Control and it dealt with stalking. You know, like a subject that you would never in your wildest dreams expect a female wife of a priest to write. Like, it's just the last thing. And so, I recommend you try it. I think you, once you get used to the old rhythmic of the old English, I think you'd really enjoy it. I think you would really find the sarcastic humor there, and I think you'd probably find some of it funny. Um, That's when I started reading Austen, and, um, Jane Eyre. Um, Yeah. well, you mean Charlotte Bronte and Charlotte. the Bronte sisters? Thank you. I think of Charlotte. Um, amazing. I can know the name of the book, but I can't recall. I just know it was one of the Bronte sisters. I'm the same. I'm the same. Honestly, I'm the same. But when I started reading Austin's book, and especially um, Charlotte Bronte and Jane Eyre, um, Jane Eyre's narration is incredibly sarcastic and funny. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, when you watch the movies, there, there are some interpretations in the movies where you're not really sure why these people like each other. You just know they're yeah. supposed to like each other. But you can't see where the connection comes from, the mental connection that you need to see to believe that they fall in love. Yeah. Um, but you see that on the page because of the way that Jane is so willing to wordplay and banter with Rochester and make him think. 
and um, and to be sarcastic about it um, and not shrink from it. And it, it's it's really one of the turning on in my favorite books for that very reason. Is that it's a very traditional role that a non-traditional person in that role um, that gave you. And, and I'm a sucker for for sarcastic humor in anything, you know. And so a lot of my a lot of my characters have that. Whenever, yeah. You know, I think there's a there's a spot in Enterprise and Justice where Oliver asks to see his help in interviewing employees, which is not a traditional role. And she says, "Would you prefer I wear pants, or would you prefer I hide under the desk?" Um, you know, do I need to come in disguise, or can I just sit, or do you want me to hide under the desk and listen? Because I can't be in the room when you do this. It's not, yeah. you know, and, um, so there's just a, um, you do have to, you know, people have a voice, and just because they are not always allowed to say it in sarcastic ways, I think one of the nice things about being a writer is you can give them that flavor of, look, I don't like this, but this is the way things are. Um, yeah. And, and let me... Yeah, no, I th- I think that's a great way. Yeah. Yeah, that that's what makes a novel to me. You have to have that rounded character. I always say three D characters, and that is really important. You need to have good, bad, and reasoning for what they do. And I think if it's very flat if you don't try, and. I, lo- I was lucky that was what wrestling gave me was 3D characters in such a short space of time um, I couldn't be more grateful for the education they gave me and that comes through in every piece of writing I do Is you can see their, their obstacles, you can see their journey you can see who they are you can, pin, you can put your finger on it and go that's what this person is that's what drives them um, and I think those are really good important things particularly for books when you're when you're getting really into it and when you're starting to read for the first time is reading authors that are really good at that because it helps you develop your own style of doing that your own way of doing that and I think we learn more as we read and that's why I always say you should always have a part of your day where you're sitting and reading because that is adding to what you have as a writer and you almost archive all this great wit and all these great ideas but without actually reading other pieces of work you might not necessarily know how to put the pieces together who do you wish that if you had infinite time and you could just sit and read and enjoy anybody who would it be you get a series and you get an author It's a little harder, this one. This is a little harder. I will tell you that I would love to read Anna's very short stories from beginning to end. Um, if I could just sit, that's, that's one that I would very much like to read because she's always on my bio that I can't always. But I, I have this thing where I can't buy books because I haven't read books too, and she's on my book sixty-seven now. So I have infinite time. I would that 
uh, that series. Um, if I had an author. Yeah. Gotta choose one author. Jim Butcher. Okay. I would reread the Dresden Files. Um, he's also got a steampunk series that he started called Tender Fire, and then there's another fantasy series that he has, and I would read him not just because his, his characters are fabulous, but that serves me fantastic humor. Yeah. But he is a master, to me, he is a master of his craft. Okay. I learned more about pacing um, and reveals from reading him. And, uh, I, if I could pick an author that inspired me to write something, it would be him. And oddly enough, there's an author who wrote a series called the Mitford series. Her name is Anne, and I think it's Karen. K-A-R-O-N. And it's a very sleepy town, small town, East Coast, but it's all about the different lives of the village, and I love those books. They are like a vacation for me. And when I started originally thinking of fall, it was along the line. Um, and I I love her for, for that, but yeah, he's 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 good. He really is, I, and I don't think he gets near enough credit as as he should. So yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. What author do you wish you could sit and have a chance to speak with? Who would you choose to sit and have a conversation with? It could be anyone, past, present. Okay. Um, I love, it was very difficult for me in the anthology book with the poets not to turn my female poet into a Dorothy Parker-like character. Um, I love her poetry. And it's because it's snarky. Um, but her short stories are also incredibly beautiful and touching in ways you don't expect, especially mm -hmm. from someone who is known for their biting wit. Um, uh, and I would love a chance to sit down and basically have whiskey with her and just visit, although she would probably hate me and, and spend most of her time with her friends and um, Probably not, but yeah. No, you never know. But um, I, I would like a chance to be at that table and pick her brain. I would love to do just sit and do one of those author tables where it's like all fantasy or all historical fiction or something like that would be like my dream to, yeah. to be at a, you know, a U.S. book conference and just experience it because I've been in the U.K. once. I just would love to know what it's like in the U.S. Like, I've always felt like I was born in their own country. Um, so, yeah, my, my mom and dad were always like, oh, you're too American. And, like, my husband calls me the closeted American because he's like, 
you do have the red, white, and blue t-shirt that you wear on the 4th of July, and, like, I do silly shit like that all the time, but I loved wrestling, and I, wrestling got me through a lot of the trauma and stuff that I had to go through as a kid. I remember, um, my last children's hospital operation, and they were like, tell us a story, and I'm like, right now I'm imagining Chris Jericho kicking through the doors and hitting you over the head with a steel chair, and he's like, they're like, okay, that's so not what we thought a 10-year-old was going to say to us. You know, like, just that, that moment of shock, like, that I would choose Chris Jericho to come to my rescue. Um, but yeah, like, it was... It was just, that was just me. I just automatically was good at telling stories on the spot. Um, my aunt still says that to this day. She's like, if I ask you to tell me a story, you can have one in two seconds. Like, it's just, you just have a universe in your mind. Oh, I do have trouble sleeping for that reason. Yeah. No, it's not so been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I, I took an audio book. And, yeah. Um, they still give me a difficult time about that because I can't... I want to say it was Venusa, read by Richard Armitage. All right. And support group. Um, and so I just got to listen to Richard Armitage in my ear, tell this historical, read this historical romance, and yeah. I didn't really care what they were doing after yeah. that. I could just tune that out, and I could listen to that story, um, and Hayer had such a fabulous career, both in creating the reasons he wrote it, and in, um, mysteries and suspense, that I yeah. would like to talk to her about what that was like and how she did that. But yeah, I mean, uh, I couldn't tell my Jennifer story because of full equipment. Yeah, it's weird because um, I w I've been going down for surgeries and stuff over the last couple of years, and I'll bring in like Leslie Pierce with me. Um, I read The Gypsy last year so quickly because I was I was always waiting, you know, like in a hall for X-ray or scan or going into theater. In fact, I think I read about four like four chapters or something like that while they tried to do a COVID test they forgot to do and I'm just sitting there waiting to go in the only person awake and of course that area is freezing cold and I'm like if we don't move soon I think my nipples are going to fall off kind of idea like yes. it was that bad that like the gown looked as if I was Madonna like <laughs> and they were like we're so sorry Crystal and they keep putting all these blankets on me and I'm still like Madonna bra and I'm like oh this is embarrassing so yeah that and I read um, Edward by Edward from the Twilight series um, oh, the, the final Edward. one yeah the yeah. final one my husband yeah. thought that was the perfect book to have an ICU
it was big, it was hard back, and I had to try and, like, read it with all these wires and tubes in, and I was like, oh my god, do this. So I, I had to build, like, a pillow fort so I could try and read it, and they had to try and get a... Because I was only one awake, because in ICU they're not awake, and they had to try and find me a light so I could read, because I woke up at, like, 3 freaking o'clock in the morning and I couldn't get back to sleep. It happens. it happens, but that that summer, I uh, it's so funny. That summer, I didn't sleep for three weeks because I had a lot of stuff they did to me, and uh, I wrote an entire novel because I didn't sleep during those three weeks. I wrote over a hundred thousand words just because I couldn't sleep, and I, the, you know, somebody should have taken pity on me and given me some to sleep because I, it was awful. It was hell. <laughs> I, I watched all of Chicago Med, and I wrote a novel. I was, like, all I did for three weeks. So. Yep. You live and you learn. You live and learn. Yeah, I always say, Ian, can you bring me smaller books next time? Preferably not hardback. <laughs> if you could go, like, what inspired you? Uh, who inspired you, past or present? In, the, in regards to influencing you to write, inspired you to read, made you excited about books. You got three. You got three people. Okay. okay. It, it inspired me about books. Um, was my grandmother. Uh, I would go spend a, a regular Sunday afternoons with my grandmother growing mm -hmm. up. Um, and she always had a big bag of horrible that she kept by her bed. She was a voracious reader. But she didn't know what to do with me, but she knew I liked to read. Right. Um, and, I mean, and when I say she didn't know what to do with me, I mean, she was 40 when I was born. She, mm -hmm. she knew what she liked to do. She loved to read books. She knew I liked to read, so we shared that. Um, and so I, we would spend Sunday afternoons reading. Um, my first, the first book I published was dedicated to her because of that. Um, yeah. So, that was that was always the thing, um, and my mother shared me. We lived in a rural area, um, but every Sunday she would take me to the library so I could pick up my books. Um, and she would do that every week because we go on Saturday, and by Tuesday I would be there, and she would go back to the library. I don't want to go. Yeah. Um, and she would get away for Saturday, and she would have to again. Um. Uh. And. She tells the story that I was in the adult section looking for a book to read when I was about eight, maybe. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, there's a children's section in the basement. Can't she be looking? She was having this with her. No, she's got all the books in the children's section. She graduated before that section. It's fine. Um, <clears throat> so, my grandmother and my mother really inspired my love of books. Um, as for writing, There were so many writers that I read yeah. that inspired me, that kindled my imagination and sparked my imagination to make me think imaginatively about my own stories and give me the courage to write them down, whether they were bad or not. Um, but I can't really pick just one. Because, you know, we talk about Jim Butcher and Dan Curran 
and Grace Borlaug and Josette Hayer and all of those that create such a fantastic space. Mm-hmm. You can see yourself moving, and then if your imagination just takes off with, well, what if I do? Yeah. Um, and Stephen King's book on writing, which everybody has. I mean, there is that thing where he says you kind of have to have the what if. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, every good story starts with here is this element. What if? Mm-hmm. So even with my series, it's like, okay, so we have this traditional story of a Victorian hero and a Victorian heroine yeah. early on in that era where everything hasn't changed yet. So what if we twisted that? What if we added this element? What if it's a reunion romance that isn't quite a reunion? Um, or is it quite a romance at first? That mm-hmm. they were united, but they're not, you know, there's a reason for them not to be friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if there's a secret? Well, they can't even watch that secret. Um, so there is that what if part. So I, I would guess, you know, Stephen King would be inspired by Also, his, his great advice of never explain anybody's plans or also have something to do with this. Yeah, he was, he, was, he was quite good for those little tricks. Yeah, um, um, I like that. Um, I just had to pick it up as I read, you know, like, I think that's what a lot of us had to do is just pick up tricks from other writers and say, oh, I like that, I, I might use that or this or, you know. You know, get editor feedback where it's like, this drags. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah. okay, so why does it drag? Let's fix that. Um, and the other person, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, my husband is my biggest thing. My husband tells everybody I know. Uh, whether I'm willing to or not. Um... And it does get awkward, so I know you're. I know where you're coming and, from. And, you know, and then he gives me he gives me my books out to people, and so I'm constantly having to ask him. Like I've got a buddy whose daughters love to read, and I thought I would give them a copy of your book if you would get it. And I said, "How old are they?" Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of them's 14, and the other one might be 12. I'm like, absolutely not. They can't have this book. No, I'm not giving this book to a 14. Um, the Regency books would be different. The romantic suspense books, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, yeah. Deals with the female serial killer. You're not going to get that book for um, No. So, um. I would make him read it first. Like, the, that would be my deal. I'd be like, okay, I'll give you the book, but you've got to read it first, and then tell me if you'd give that to your 14 year old. Like, that, that's how I operate. So, I mean, my husband, my husband Greg, is my, is my biggest fan, and doesn't mind that I spend most of my time reading my computer, and the most frequent question that I have is, huh? Yep. Because I've been stuck in somewhere, and I didn't have a question he asked me, or I didn't hear something he's laughing at on the television, and uh, so yeah, we get, huh, or they know a lot. I get that, too. But that's just, that's part of the author world. Like, you know, you get, you've got a, your own universe that you can escape to. And it's something that you develop as a child, whether it's because of your circumstances or because somebody nurtures it in you. But you'd have that. And sometimes it's far more interesting than the universe that you're currently in. So you choose to, you choose to disappear into that. And I think that's a really good thing. 
and it's it's really good to just have have that place where you can go when things are just too hard um and you can escape to and i like to do that and i like to feel like my books give that option to other people so they can be like hey i want to I want to get out of here today. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll go join the twins, or I'll go sit with Carla, or you know something like that. Um, and I I really love that. I love that I know I can give that to somebody, and it's helped me so much. So why wouldn't it help them? Yeah, exactly. If you could go back in time, where would you go? Right? Would you go back as a writer, a princess, a teacher? What would you go back as? Uh, oh, and why? And why? Um, and why? Yeah. I think I would like to visit Victorian Britain. I think like you said, you believe you were born in the you feel like sometimes you were born in the wrong country. I have always yeah. been fascinated by Britain, and it is still on my bucket list. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's my major bucket list country to visit, and. Um, I would like to see the places that I spent so much time reading about and writing about. Um, I would probably go back as a writer or a teacher. I think I would be alive in some sense. Um, you never um, know. You know. Well, you don't. And I'm, I, you know, I know my also because of like everybody doing everything for me. But I would like to um, have more. A, a little more flexibility to move around and see yeah. places and people, and I think those last few roles just um, mm -hmm. And so, basically, that's where I would pick, and I would pick that because I would love to get more of an authentic feel. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. yeah. Has there ever been a book you've picked up and you've wondered why you have? Now, before you answer that, I'll explain why. A lot of us authors get bad reviews and we have this conversation so that reviewers know what it's like for us as authors when we have to put a book down because we can't read it or it's there's something that's you know making it something that we can't get through and this is to hopefully educate them to not write on people's books could not finish or it doesn't you know don't read it because it's awful you know so this is the this is your this is our way of just educating reviewers out there that there is other options other than putting bad stuff on people's hard work um so there's a book i picked up that i couldn't finish like if there's a book you've picked up and you thought why am i reading this or why did i ever start this because i think that's a that's a question a lot of reviewers you know, have to deal with when they're, they're reviewing our work, so. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. Most of the time, um, it's because it was like a book club selection, and I haven't been to my book club in years. But, um, Thank you. Well, between work and everything else going on, I needed, I needed time away from people, yeah. and there are certain people I can't escape, Yeah. and there are certain people I can't, so it has nothing to do with the book, and it has nothing to do with the fact that they are very lovely people, I just needed 
to carve out some space for me. And yeah, of course. That's the easiest thing to get. Um, so they would pick books that I would buy to read, and like, I know I'm supposed to like this. I mean, you know, it's one of Peabody, or it's one of, you know, a, a Nobel Prize, or it's one of whatever it is, and I just can't do it. That's a lot of shows you've just cancelled out right away, yep. It's so funny you say that because when I watch doctor shows, as a patient who's done this for 30 odd years, I have trouble with, ah, the IV's in wrong, or, oh, I wish I could just whisper it in the TV, turn the fucking air on, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but I still, I still watch it so that I have the full experience because I write screenplays and because I write books. I need to kind of know what's the general practices now. Yes. Because America's obviously hugely different to the UK. I would recommend watching UK law shows because you will see a total difference to your system. Mm -hmm. And I think you might actually enjoy it because we are, you know, we've got the wigs and it's a bit more funny and it's a bit more, 
in your face a little bit, but I think you would enjoy it if, if you can flip it to a different country. Yeah. Because it's almost like you don't know the practices. You can enjoy it that way. Yeah. Um, I might give you a couple of shows that you can watch that will uh, they'll get you going. Um, particularly, I think your husband would find Doc Martin exceedingly funny. Oh, we love the, Doc Martin. Oh, you do watch him? Yes, yes. I mean, we we basically switched over to um, an, to all streaming at our house. And yeah. So, because I mean, I have the H1 and BritBox. Yep, I, I have other, that too. Yep. In addition to the other things. Um, and uh, the other traditional streamer. And so, yeah, Doc, we love Doc Martin um, because it's funny. And Greg likes Thanks. seeing the diagnosis. Uh, the, the diagnosis that, that Doc makes based on what he's got and he likes seeing that he can come up with the same diagnosis with, you know, I think he's got get it uh, out So we like that part. Um, yeah. And uh, it's very that we like. And, um, and he, since he reads so much nonfiction World War II, he's always like, well, maybe then someday we can go to Britain and I'd like to see all of these places as well. So you can do that. Yeah, it's 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 incredible, especially if you've got Brit Box. Law and Order UK is really good. Okay. Um, because it's it almost is like a nice gradual show for you to wean your way in because you've got some of the elements of of Dick Wolf in there, but then you've got the UK legal system, so it's completely different. Um, and it's actually really good. To be honest with you, it's, it's it's really good. And the other one is if you like the true documentary stuff. Um, oh, I've just forgotten his name. Robbie Coltrane's Critical Evidence is also really good. Okay, because he looks at just what critical evidence made up that um, case. It's not about all about forensics it's not all about you know good old fashioned police work as he puts it it's looking at okay what forensically you know or what what critical evidence did we learn in order to move this forward or to put these things together um, he, since he likes um, the non-fiction stuff, I recommend him watch The Land Girls. Okay. Um, that's, that. yeah, it's really, it does really hit on a lot of what they have to deal with and a lot of what um, life was like for them. But if you want to combine both your passions, I would recommend Foyle's War because Foyle's War is both the crime and the drama but you also get the world war ii setting and how do they yeah foils war is 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 a is a big favorite for everybody and now of course endeavor is coming out and endeavor is quite good because it looks at um we had a we had a huge uh, successful show here called moss and this is how moss became moss and it's it's a really good series. Um, I always recommend that one because people find the humor of his sarkiness too resistible. You know, they oh, all yes. they all I, fall I in love, love with that. I love Morse and Endeavor. I mean, I, that, those were those were wonderful. 
And the, the great thing about UK stuff is it continues to get better. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it's... I think it's crazy that it just keeps getting better. Um, like, the series called Shetland was set in the Shetland Islands. Um, that has a lot of the feel of Shetland there, even though we don't go around killing each other. <laughs> you know? But it, it has things that genuinely scares islanders about happening up there. And I think that's it's portrayed really well. And I think it's sad that it's it's going to come to an end soon. I think it really is. But it'll give you kind of like a taste of where I grew up. And a little bit, you'll be able to see the places that I spent a lot of my time. Because Shetland wasn't very big and you couldn't really go anywhere. So, you know, we floated around quite a bit. Um, but I think, yeah, I think you'd like that. And the other one was Grandchester was quite good. We love Grandchester. And I've watched, I think, the first season of Shetland. Oh, and you it's, have? It's, it's, it's a lovely island. Beautiful um, island, yeah. So, but, yeah, I mean, Greg is always like, how big is this place if they're having this many marvels? Where is this village? Do we need to go to this village when we go to Britain? So, um, but yes. Tell him it's a long way. It's a long way. <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you land, say, say you land in Edinburgh, that's the capital of Scotland, right? Mm -hmm. You have a three to four hour car drive to Aberdeen. And then you get a boat, and the boat's 14 hours. Wow. You can so you fly. Didn't go, you didn't go a lot of places if you lived in Shetland, no. Yeah, and if, if you fly there, it's like three hours. It's it's closer to four or five if it's from London. It just depends if it has to stop to fuel or not. And it's not a big plane. It's a little propeller plane. So there's only like 40 to 60 of you in the plane. And uh, yeah, you feel every bump. But the thing about Shetland is when you land there, the way that it works is that they've built the airstrip. So there's a couple of miles on either end is built out into the ocean. So if he doesn't come down at the right speed, you could end up going into the water before you hit the, the air strip, or you could go right off the other end. Oh. So it usually a lot of people get nervous about flying in there because we have problems with wind. We usually have between sort of 40 miles an hour to 60 mile an hour winds on a normal day. I have seen the plane land in 70, but I wouldn't recommend it. It's very bumpy. Yeah. You can get the boat. The boat is nicer. You can have a cabin and a meal and there's a cinema. It's, it's like a miniature cruise ship and you just drive your car on board and then at least you've got a car for the island. Yeah. So you can go about and you can see it's, it's made up of 64 islands. And you can island hop and you can experience all this different places. But there's only two that you have to fly to. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's really, it's an amazing experience. And I think um, your husband would love it. He really would. So I, there's five seasons of Shetland. So you've got three more to go. I've got, um, I've got three more to go. So yeah, it's, it's it's good. And if you have any questions, then you know what my email address is, and I can always do a. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I can always explain, because um, a lot of girls in Shetland, we know how to hot wire a boat. Which, you know, when I say that, everyone's like, huh? Why would you want to know how to hot wire a boat? Well, when you see the island, you'll understand. The other thing is, um, we get joke gifts. And one of my, my grandfather gave me a joke gift of my family tree laminated so it could fit in my purse. Because we're all related in some way. So we're all cousins, technically, and we're all interlinked, and so that you don't end up snogging your cousin, which happens a lot, you have this little uh, laminated thing that you take out your purse and you have a look. You're like, oh, right, your name's Ooh, Robert Anderson. Okay, where's the, do I have any Andersons here? Oh, I'm good! I could go snog him. <laughs> oh, and I can see that. Because I snogged my cousin, and I didn't know. And my grandfather walked by me, and he went, "You do realize you're snogging your cousin, right?" No. <sighs> Two of us sprang apart like we got electrocuted. <laughs> of course, he waited till after we, you know, once we'd started kissing. Like, I mean, yeah. could he not just said some before? information to have beforehand so yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. i i've always said that my children will never date in shetland for that reason because i don't want to have to explain to them that they've accidentally bonked their first cousin no that would be bad yeah yes yes yeah. the things that you learn when you're a teenager my first kiss was on a public bus so everybody knew about <laughs> I was so embarrassed it was like uh, summer camp and my mom had decided I'll put her in summer camp I can't deal with her anymore and there was this boy called Scott and Scott's a very very popular name in Shetland and I had never met him before, I'd never seen him before, so I figured, well, he can't be related to me. And he just kissed me. No warning. No lead up to it. Nothing. Just grabbed me by the ears, which I hate, because I, I am such a sensitive ear person. And he kissed me. And then I went to high school. And everybody that I went to high school with except Scott was on the bus oh no yes oh yeah so everybody knew oh yeah that's bad mm -hmm. so uh yeah that was interesting because I was one of the older ones in my year as well so um, I, I always got the funny comments you know so, yeah, um, Shetland was always fun for that reason, you know, you just didn't have, didn't have a lot of privacy, put it that way. Well, so moving yeah. into the, the writing portion of the podcast, how did you go about creating the darker elements within your story? What was the, how did you get into that mindset of, okay, this is a darker element, I need to sort of get that mood to that place? 
Um, that is a really difficult thing for me to do. Um, it's a difficult question, too. Well, just because, I mean, you created these people. And you created them because you like them. Yep. You really don't want to torture them. Because you like them. But your job as a writer is to torture them in some way. Uh, so... Yeah, I have that mentality of I don't care how much I like you as a character. I've had a shitty day, so I'm going to torture you. Yes. So I, um, I kind of have to go back and look as I'm writing it and look at the plot and go, if this happened to me, yeah. this would be my reaction. And if I have that reaction, what is either the most logical thing to happen next or the worst thing that could happen next. Donald Moss has a great book on the emotional craft of fiction where he talks about going beyond the first reaction that your character has. Yep. Like the knee-jerk reaction to going to like the third level down reaction of what you might not expect but might be a more personal reaction in, yes. uh, to, to something or at least it's a more intense consequence to that action that you might not normally see. So a lot of times I start off with, okay, this is where I left off. This is what's happening. Yeah. Um, I like that. The, yeah. The perfect, the perfect example of that is in in the first book, in his Enterprise and Duchess, I wanted to have a secret baby because that's the most logical thing that would have happened to these characters. But yeah. I knew that I didn't want it to be your typical secret baby story. Um, so what's the worst thing that could happen in a secret baby story? Um, mm -hmm. What's the worst thing that could happen in a reunion moment? Um, and how would those characters deal with that? And if it's a secret, what happens when that secret is revealed? And how bad do you feel? So. I like, I like the way that's put, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and how can that reaction be different? And more visceral, maybe, than just, oh, I'm upset with you. You know, like we should be further now. Or for these women dealing with making their own businesses, why are they doing that? And mm -hmm. what happens if that is somehow challenged? I like that because you just you're you're pushing the what if as far as you can go with it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. yeah. Within limits, but yeah. I think if you if you don't look for okay, well, what's the next step? What's outside of the box? Yes, you lose that that edge. I think you lose that kind of. You're not creating something new. It's not something original because you're you're not daring yourself to take that next step to making it a fantastic story. You're playing safe, and yes. what makes that any different to any other book? 
that somebody could pick up. I I like to ask that when I'm writing. Like, I look at what I've written and said, okay, well, if I could take a next step with this, what could I push? What could I do to make it different? And if I, if I can't come back with the answer, I know I've done the job right. If I do come back with the answer, then I need to think harder about the book. Exactly. And push myself to making it even better. Exactly. Well, at least, I, at least I'm uh, on the same wavelength as you. There we yes. go. What inspired you to pick the type of genre for your writing that you did? When I would sit down and open my Kindle to read for fun, it would almost always be a historical romance, and mm-hmm. those were the characters that stuck with me, and and the writers who really made me happy. That was my escape. And then right. I have a friend, Sherry, who reads almost entirely what she calls them long dress books, uh, historical romance. And so one okay. day we were talking about it, and I was talking about the plot, which is the beginnings of the plot for His Enterprising Duchess, and I was trying to figure out how to, a way to make this contemporary, because I wrote contemporary. Yeah. And she looked at me and she goes, I dare you to take this and make it a long dress book. Yeah. Because this is what it needs to be. And you need to be writing this anyway. Mm-hmm. You need to be writing this genre anyway. Try it. And if you hate it, you can put it aside and move on your next. But try it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then I, I got stuck in and poor Sherry had to listen to about this book the entire time I read it. There is, there is worse punishments in this world than that. Well, yes, but still, it was, um, so basically, I started on a dare. I like that. I like the fact that you're, you know, you're, you're brave enough to say, uh, yeah, it was a dare. It was a But dare. it was a good dare. It was a total dare. And, yeah. I mean, and I, and I had a critique partner that was the same thing. It's like, I, I had this idea, and when I was talking about it, she's like, you know, this is a historical romance. You're just going to have to bite the bullet and do it. Yeah. I think sometimes we all have to do that. Like, I think I think we all want to play safe and say, oh, we'll just stick in the genre that I know. But at the same time, there's like a part of us that has to be honest with ourselves and be like, well, it's not going to work in any other fashion. Exactly. Yeah. And, and this, this, this story would not have worked in any other genre. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't. This, this entire set of set of women would not work in any other era. No. And I think that's what makes yours incredibly different and, and what makes me excited for reading it is because to me, there's a novel that's different. There's a novel that dares to stand out. There's an author who's done her homework, who's put the time and energy into thinking it through, who maybe understands the audience that she's trying to touch and she's trying to change. And there is a bit of accidental learning there. Yes. And I think that's the elements you really need for when it, when it comes to crafting something that's memorable, that sticks with a reader, that might make the reader pick up something else you write because you've, you've given them an experience that they wouldn't otherwise have, that they would never get to learn uh, or, or be able to value in any other way. And that's what it touches me as a reader, so that's what I hope I can do with that. Yeah. 
Is there a book, like when you're putting your book together, is it like a movie or is it like a jigsaw puzzle in your head? The actual writing of it is movie-esque. Right. And then I want, the drafting of it is how I see everything playing out in my head. Right. Um, the plotting and the editing of it is a puzzle. I would agree with that, yeah. I can't... Um, I have a book that um, completely helped me understand plot quicker than any other book called Romance in the Beast. Right. Um, it talks about the different beasts that you have to have in a romance story and sort of where they should fall um, in a story, um, yeah. regardless of word count. And that helps me go, okay, so if I have to start here, mm-hmm. and 25% I have to be here, what are the things that are going to get me from, hi, how are you, to the 25% point where now we're stuck together in whatever adventure this is? Yeah. And how many words do I have to do that in? And what are the things that I need to get to that point logically so that I'm not creating some illogical thought for my Yeah, um, I think I think I hate the ones that are forced the most. Like, this, this is just, why would anybody do this? And I have a... I have a or why don't they just walk away? Yes. And I, there's an a author I know um, in New Zealand. Grant Kelly, who, um, if she reads my, if she's always volunteering to beta read, and she's a fabulous beta reader, um, right. but her, uh, her questions to me are always, why did they make this choice? You mm-hmm. haven't explained to me why they made this choice. Um, and so she's always asking really pointed questions, which is what makes her both a terrifying and a fabulous reader. Uh, yeah. Because it forces you to look at your story logic as well as your plot point. And it forces you to complete that piece of paper. Um, and editing is the mm-hmm. same way because it's like, have I tied this, have I tied my scenes together well enough that they flow like a movie for the reader? Because that's the ultimate experience I want the reader to have, is that the reader can get lost in the story the way I get lost in watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And the only way that happens is if you really can't see the themes of the story in the page. I would agree with that. Yeah. I like that as well because you um you just never know where that's gonna take you. And it's it's important, you know, you want to know okay, if I do this or I say that or you know, we end up in this position, why? What makes it makes it the experience that it needs to be and yeah so I I get that I totally get that and there's I think there's so much to learn as well from having somebody ask you why like I had a huge plot hole in one of my books and I couldn't for the life of me think of what it was and it turned out that I had just simply made a mistake but my wrestling friend who does believe in 3D characters was like, 
you do know that there's like a huge, huge, huge fuck you hole right here. And I was like, no. And the fact that nobody else figured it out except for him, I thought, I thought it was just incredibly shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it, it did teach me something. Yep, and I, I hope that uh, I get a beta reader one day just like her. <laughs> Unless you want to lend her to me, you know. <laughs> she's, she's incredible. I mean, she just is. And she writes amazing stories. Yeah, I, I, you, you just want to have somebody like that. Um, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really good uh, to, to have that. Is there a character that you wish that you could write more about? You thought about breaking it up into maybe smaller chunks? I have. Um, and I had a couple of false starts on it. Um, and uh, every false start gives me a little more uh, information that I can use. Yeah. But it's still not something where I feel like, okay, I need to sit down and I need to do research on X and Y. And I need to do research on. How my how my technology is going to work? And is this that magic? Is how is the magic work? And with everything else going on right now, I don't feel like the research that I need to do attention to make it right. And well, you never know. And to let the let the reader get lost and not feel like I'm holding it. Yeah. So at some point, I will write. Which character of yours has stayed with you the longest? Part in that book, Theo is pushing what um, 
inside it of the tub. He was pushing what society expects of him. He fights the book as a separate thing. And in the middle of the book, he could tell you the book. Um, yeah. Two very separate things, but it's a role he never wanted. And as a separate son, he's been willing, he's been able to explore a different life. And so he's trying to meld his two lives together while mm-hmm. he works to, um, to win back the woman that he lost. Yeah. And, and to accept not only that he lost her, but that after he lost her, she, she has changed. She is not that same person. And why? Right. And the fact that um, so I think she does, and then the other one, of course, those steampunk characters have been with me forever. Yeah. Um, Hanging on in there saying, damn you, listen to me. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they come, they come up all the time. Uh, so the, I think those two, um, you know, I, I'm not, I, I like all my characters, but uh, I'm, I'm partial to all of them. Um, and then even when Sadie and my steampunk characters what techniques have you found a the most helpful and which ones do you wish you hadn't tried I plot on index cards I think that's probably the most helpful thing I've ever found because first of all I can stick my story in my purse or in my laptop bag and if I have a moment to write I know what to do alright it also lets me shuffle my plot points if I need to uh, it's a technique I learned in ninth grade, writing research papers and putting all of your all of your sources and your main characteristics for paragraph points and everything together so that you would have I me mean, I wrote my master's thesis on index cards before I ever put it on paper. Uh, wow. I'm a big fan of index cards. Um, our, we have a square dining room table and I plot at my dining room table because I can put my major points on all four corners. Yeah. And then bring the index card between it to make sure that I paste it correctly. Oh, um, okay. And then I can just gather them all up and I know what singles where. Yeah. Um, so that's what I have, the technique that I have found most helpful. Um, yeah. Which is the least helpful you find? I took a workshop a couple of years ago on how to rethink my writing process. Okay. And I really wish I hadn't done that. Not because the workshop wasn't great, but because of how my brain worked. Because right. what I took away from that was that, and it was not what was intended in the workshop, in the least bit. What I took away from that and what seized on my brain, especially with COVID, was that it was okay for me to trigger. It was okay for me to trigger my time away while I thought about something and not to work on the page. It was okay for right. me to goof off and, and internalize or that's what I took from that. Now, that's not what that workshop intended. 
Um, right. But I wish I hadn't done that because that was what clicked in my brain. I learned some very good things from that workshop, but that was the one thing that is a flaw. You wish you hadn't. I wish I, I wish I hadn't explored that. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I've I've had that kind of situation where I've gone into sort of a workshop and into that kind of environment and then I thought to myself what what was I thinking here like obviously this is not what what I need to do or this is not what I thought I was going to learn so I've discovered that um and it has kind of taught me a lot of different things that I need to do to like make sure that I protect the way that I like to write yeah. and not let other factors sort of you know take derail me a little bit yeah. and, and make it a bit of a nightmare for me um, so I can understand that from personal experience and I think that's really awesome that you were able to say hey I know what the issue is this is it and and I figured out how to not put myself back to square one so yeah I, I like that I think that's I, I still have a problem with procrastinating yeah so do um, I so do I don't worry about it <laughs> I'm, I, you know I, I'm, I'm working on it every day yeah I mean procrastinating is also a good thing in a way because you're you're letting your brain have that time to okay you're doing mindless silly shit silly stuff which does you know we think is useless but it's actually giving our brain time to sort of go okay this you know I can think things through now because I'm not being bombarded with you must do this or you need to do this or you need to do that and it yeah especially lets me have that time to just think things through make sure I've got my handle on it and yeah. So if I have a day where I don't write at all, I understand that that's my brain needing time to think things through so that I can then go ahead and work another day. Um, yeah. You know, especially when it comes to plotting or if I'm writing and I get stuck and notes is just not clarifying for me what, it, what I need to do. So moving on to the life portion of your podcast, what is the first thing you do when you want to de-stress from editing and writing? I play a computer game. Oh, you're a gamer too. I I am a, I am a um, one of one of my procrastination problems is that I like computer games just a little bit too much. I so, like that. Um, but I do I do play you know whether it's a word game or a logic game or I'm building some imaginary island somewhere. Um, I'll have a glass of wine and play a computer game. Yes. I, I do the same. I'm a League of Legends player. And I won't say what my League of Legends name is because I will get inundated with people harassing me. Um, but yeah, I go and I play League because that's my out. That's where I can go and I can take, especially in the morning when, I, uh, when I'm just having a coffee and I've taken my morning tablets, I need that kind of 40 minutes to just gra gather my brain cells back together and it lets me think of what I need to write that day um, so I'll play League with a friend I'll go off and I'll write for a while 
I always think it's funny because they think I'm abandoning them, but I'm <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it's just, you know, what I have to do. But yeah, I love that. I love that yeah. uh, you're a gamer. I think, I think there's a lot more writers as gamers out there than we care to admit. It lets you use your imagination. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 What hobbies do you enjoy and which ones do you wish you could explore more? I love plants. And, um, I, so I wish I could garden more. Um, oh, okay. Uh, we have indoor plants. Unfortunately, my husband, because, because I start writing and forget to water them, my husband does most of the watering. Um, so he keeps most of our plants alive. And, um, if I could explore that more, I would, I would be in on the caretaking duties. Um, but generally I'm reading or, um, um, I'm reading or writing, those are my major hobbies. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us when we start out it's like writing's the hobby and then it becomes like the full time thing and then it becomes Yeah, you know. And then it becomes a job and so it's like now I need a hobby for my hobby. Yep. Yep. And then you're just like, Oh that's what I need to be doing, you know. So yeah, no, I get that. I went from dancing to writing to horse riding to (laughs) sewing to crafting like I've never seemed to have settled on just one thing I always seem to I've tried painting I've tried jewelry making I've tried um, pottery Um, we have a lot of very large and unwieldy pottery pieces at my house that um because I could never master small, so they're all huge. Yeah. Um, and completely useless for anything. Um, I told somebody that I switched to jewelry because my husband knocked the pottery piece off in the garage and then took my car and just went <gasps> to the pottery piece. So that will tell you how big things are at this yeah. that I made. I mean, I was a lousy potter. Um, jewelry was better, um, but I... Now when I sit down to bead, I'm thinking about book plots, and so I can't, my, my fingers can't stay still. Yep. My chair has a spring in it. Yep. Yeah. I know that feeling. I, I've gone to cross-stitch. I was, I was knitting blankets for kids in care, and then for some reason, care homes all across the UK and the US stopped taking blankets for these kids. So that was the end of that um, because I couldn't do anything else with the knitting and I I ended up cross-stitching and then um, my family now get quilts and pillows and pillowcases with unique designs on them because I can't think of other Christmas gifts to give them and so they get something handmade Um, you know it's kind of hard to explain to your five-year-old niece why you've made her something but I think it's I like to give her the personal touch think she's getting something personal and I think that's really important because it shows that you've made that with love and that's the important thing so I'm trying to teach people around me that you know a homemade gift is still as good as a, a bought bought stored gift I mean, my, my sister-in-law makes this candy every year for Christmas and we love it yeah it's our favorite thing yeah yeah uh, I'm the same <laughs> What is the first thing that you do in the morning? What's the very first thing you do in the morning? It's 
kiss my husband. Aww. And I pet the cat. Hopefully not at the same time. No, not at the same time. The husband comes first, the cat comes second. I bet and you the cat's like, ahem. Sometimes, sometimes, she's... My cat, suitcase, kind of sleeps at my feet on bed, and she's not a morning cat. Oh, so okay. sometimes she'll look at you and she'll bumble that you're petting her and she's still asleep. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but no, I'm, um, I kiss my husband good morning, every morning. That, that's the nicest and sweetest answer I've gotten so far for that question. So, I myself have a long-term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate day. What makes you slow down and smell the roses? I know when my brain has reached my limit. Whether it's the day job or mm -hmm. writing, and when I need to schedule some time where I haven't seen my girlfriends in forever. Right. Or, you know, like now, my husband is waiting for me to finish this so that we can go spend some time together on vacation. Um, and, and he'll kind of tap me on the shoulder every once in a while and go, I need your attention. Yeah. He's, he's really good at pulling me out of my own head or, you know, and I would also say, you're really not in a good headspace for a while. Yeah. Um, or go to massage, go, go do something that has not involved your job as a customer. Um, yes. He's really good at that. So, um, but sometimes it's just, you know, I haven't had lunch with my girlfriend in forever, and I need to do that. I mm -hmm. need to schedule that. I need to, uh, I need to see if she can go shopping. Uh, this week we've been on vacation, and the cat gets really snuggly when we're on vacation. So I'm sitting having my coffee, watching the river go by, and she's curled up next to me, and I can just sit there and scratch her tummy, and before I know it, 15 minutes have gone by. And it's the perfect thing, because I don't get to do that during the week when I'm working, especially if I'm working during the day and trying to write a book or really get job. Yeah, it can be it can be tough, especially yeah. around a, a day job. Yeah, yeah and so very frustrating too. It can be because you just get stuck in, and it's like your lunch hour is over, and you've got to go back to work, or yep. um, or you've got to get ready to go to work, and you've just got you know you've got ten or fifty words, and you finally know where this character goes, and the alarm goes off, and you're like, now I gotta go. Yep. Um, yep. So that's. Um, that's really kind of what makes me slow down, is that, plus I have a sticker on my computer at work that tells me not to get ahead of myself. I literally wrote on a sticky note in a black sharpie, slow down. Yeah. So yeah. that I'm paying attention to what's going on around me and not just stuck in my own head. Yeah, I've been there too. I mean, I've been to the point where Ian started doing this, you know, just to just to try and get my attention so that I realize, okay, maybe I've been too much involved with this book for too long. 
And his other thing is, he takes me out in the car, and if I if I have a deadline, and he understands it's a deadline, but he wants time for me, he'll take me out in the car, and I can have the laptop, and I can be riding, but next to him, and we're doing the thing that we both love, which is being out in the car. Um, with him working now, it is a lot harder, because it's kind of like, oh, I need to, to actually think he's coming home soon, you know, have I done his washing, or, you know, there's there's added pressure now to the fact that he works so much. Um, also, I, I'm more in charge of, like, you know, my health and stuff like that, too, so I have to think, I have to think more of it through than I did before. Um, so, yeah, I do miss him being around some, around all the time, but, yeah. And I also don't tend to get away from work like everybody else. So, um, yeah, there's there's also that. So I, I get, yeah, I get it. So where's your favorite place to curl up during the day? Is it like the garden, cafe, reader's nook? Where do you like to go? I am really just happy. Um, we have, my friends get, we have the world's comfiest sofa. Mm-hmm. So quite honestly, um, the, the so- our sofa at home has a big window out over the garden. The house is really quiet, um, and I can just sit there and I can read, take naps, or have my coffee, and it's, and it's a huge section of sofa, so basically we're living on the gas sofa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's where I call it is in a corner of the sofa. I love and that because uh, I've yeah. got that piece in my sofa that I go to when I just I need to get the writing out of my head and I just want to go read and sometimes I'll read in bed but the problem is if I'm reading in bed I fall asleep so you know uh, there's a few times he has come in and he's like taking the the glasses off and and the book off my lap and it's been like shh sleep you know I have a writing corner and a reading corner so I have a corner of the sofa that I sit in when I'm writing and when I'm done writing I feel like I close the tablet and move to the other side which is the side that's closest to God's chair so that we can do whatever we're doing. Oh, that's lovely. And that's a, that's a good sign of a healthy relationship, too, is to be able to say, okay, I've done this, now I can go spend time with him. Like, seeing him as a, a reward, almost, to, yes, you know, a long day. Because we've had these discussions where he's like, you know, I I want to make sure he knows that he's a priority and that I yeah. give him attention and I can't do that if I'm always on the True. That is very, very true. And I, I so, say that to a lot of people. Yeah. So it's, it's very clear that to both of us that we are a priority over everything else. And I, I, I do the same with Ian, I must admit. I will say to him, you know, you are the priority. You are the person that I want to spend the day with you know and it, when we had our close call last year when I nearly died um, I think I kind of drove that home to him a lot more that here you know every moment we got with each other is the most important moment you know and it made us very appreciative of what time we have together and like we're probably one of the few couples that can spend a lot of time together and we don't really fight we don't really argue we are who we are and it's just you know we just go with the flow with each other and it's 
you know, we just fit together really, really, really well. Yeah, and I think, definitely. yeah, I think that there is couples out there who just find that with each other and it works. Um, and, you know, I say that's, that's the most special thing you can have. Yeah. Personally. Maybe, I, maybe I've got it all wrong, but that's, that's how I feel about it anyway. No, I think, I think that's perfectly right. I mean, we, we've talked about this a lot, of, a lot before, um, that, um, you know, it's great that we do the different things we do, but, so it's important that we have lives, we have interests apart from each other that we, that we do, that we don't give up something. Mm-hmm. He loves to ride his bicycle. I'm crap at riding bicycles. I can't ride bicycles, so you've got my sympathy on that. But we can go for a walk together, and then he can ride his bicycle later. He doesn't make me ride a bicycle, and I don't make him give that up to spend time with me. He knows exactly. I like to ride, so he doesn't give that. He doesn't make me give that up to spend time with him. But it's also important that we plan that time together, that we're not hooked into something, that we're not thinking about the next thing we have to do today, it's just us. Yes, exactly. I love that, yeah. And I, I kind of remind Dean a bit, a bit about that too, just that it's so easy to get swept away nowadays, it really is. So moving on to the word game, which is the funnest part of the show, <laughs> we are going to tie words to books. Oh, I'm stuck at this because I didn't look at books. Oh, it's okay. I um, okay. will have fun with this. And this is my idea of where I would meet you in a perfect world. So we're at a author's luncheon, old-fashioned English-style luncheon with our fluffy hats and our long dresses, and they're serving all these treats and goodies, and that's where these words have come from. Okay. So your first word is chocolate. I have to think of a book with chocolate. Yes. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is like water for chocolate. Oh, okay. Uh, Fells was, uh, sorry, Phil's was um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Ah, see, there you go. I want, like water for chocolate, that's the first thing that comes to my head. Yeah, that was, that was her like, you know, bing bing moment. She's like, ah. <laughs> And I thought that was so cute, so I thought I would jerk. Um, your next one is caramel. Oh. See, that one's hard. Um, you have a hint? I always think of caramel um, when I was reading things like throne of glass because they in the palace they're all talking about these no sorry court thrones and roses it wasn't she was they were making all these delicious things and i thought oof, oof, thorns of court you know that just reminds me of that book and how, i like how they were doing all this wonderful wonderful stuff oh see i can't you got stuck did you i did i got stuck I get stuck on caramel. I have that one. I have no idea. Um, okay, well, your next one might be easier. Is butterfingers. Butter yeah. Yeah. See, 
because I don't like Butterfingers. That one, I, I, I've also got to, I've also got to draw on that one, but. You, you're the first American I've ever asked that one to, and they turned around and said, I don't, I don't like it. That's, I don't, I don't like wow. Butterfingers. Um, I'm much more a Hershey's, uh, just give me a plain old Hershey's chocolate bar and I'm fine. So, <laughs> I know, um, I'm just, I'm sitting in shock, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I'm trying to think. If I, if I had to think of a book that made me think of Butterfingers, it would be something that was crunchy and... Well, I have one, and it's um, one of the shipyard um, ship, shipyard girls at war by Nancy Ravel, because there's this poor pregnant woman who's just addicted to sugar, and they're starting the sugar ration, and she's, you know, she's heavily pregnant, and all she wants is sugar, <laughs> and she doesn't care what farms it comes in, whether it's candy or cakes or things like that, so I, I think of that one. Um... I'm sorry, Crystal Butterfingers. I, I, I'm drawing a blank. That's okay. That's why I have ones to throw out there for you. Don't worry. Okay, good. We work together on these. That's that's what I always say to people. Like, don't feel like you're stuck. You know, like we, we work on them together. Okay. So the next one is custard creams. Okay, you're going to have to explain to me as an American what a custard cream is. It's a biscuit. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, okay. it's like a biscuit. Um, custard creams is a type of biscuit, and they usually use them for Dunkin' and tea because they're not sweet. They're they're just like quite quite plain. Um, I'm trying to think what because they have like they're they're vanilla biscuits. They're very plain vanilla biscuits with just a hint like you can just taste a hint of custard when you bite into it. Because like usually there's like a filling in the middle and, and uh, yeah, it tastes, like it tastes Oreo? yeah, a little bit like an Oreo, yeah. yeah. Okay. English version of an Oreo. <laughs> okay. Um. For me, I, I go Round Tower by Catherine Cookson because the um, the heroine in that, she uh, when she's living in her mom and dad's house, they're all this like proper English and trying to live, you know, appear to be upper class and all these kind of things. And in my head, I think of them having plates of custard creams and tea and just being very... Ponzi because they're not really actually sure of what they're doing okay. or how um, they should behave. I, I will tell you the custard, the, the custard cream thing, I would probably think, um, because you said tea, and, and Grace, Grace Boyle sits on tea and thinks of tea. Oh, okay. Um, that's that's a good choice. They're, they're the Regency the era. Um, Either that or a Georgia Kelly book. I can see Venetia with custard cream in here. Yeah, there you go, Venetia. There you go, yeah. There you go, okay. There, there You're getting there. the hang of this. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, yes. Cheesecake. Uh, Jan Karen's Mitford series. Um, 
I want to say that Father Tim, the main character in that, has an affinity for cheesecake. But I, it's been a while since I read them. That All right. He's very big and sweet. So I think Father Tim would approve of cheesecake. Cookies. I'm going to go with my book on that and the Enterprising Justice. Um, uh, part of his Enterprising Justice, Oliver has uh, an affinity for cookies that his Spanish grandmother would make him when they were younger. Oh, okay. And uh, his grandmother taught Thea how to make them. So wow. okay. she, makes, she makes those for him. I like that. Okay. And then we have swirls. Chocolate swirls. You know, like they make um, little sweeties of chocolate that's uh, made just so that they look like swirls on uh, like like they're like you get them at yeah, you get them at like Christmas time usually. Okay. So kind of like uh, sort of like Hershey's Kisses but flat. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was actually thinking of Shiver. And uh, it's by, it's the vi it's the werewolf one by Maggie Stafer, mm -hmm. and he takes her to the uh, sweetie shop on the date. The guy that's the lead in that takes the girl to a, a sweetie shop, even though being out in the cold um, can trigger his werewolf curse, and he might turn back into a werewolf. So I always I love that idea of. Um, you know, him risking it to take her to a sweetie shop because she hasn't had certain sweets. I'm trying to think of, and I'm trying to think of a Christmas book that I've read in the um, It is hard when you're trying to think of Christmas books. Well, it is. Just because I'm a huge fan. So, oh, um, okay. Uh, it, comes from, it, it comes from years in the law firm that Christmas is always the um, busiest time of the year, the isn't it? The busiest time of year. Uh, and so Christmas is always so hectic for me for so long. Um, okay, I actually like that you said that because I think of um, Sarah Morgan. It, and I, I'll give you her name later. It's she does a fantastic range of Christmas novels. And it's not, you know, overly sweet, sicky kind of Christmas stories. It's like working day people who've discovered just for one day that happiness, you know, yes. of Christmas. Okay. That one. Um, Ruth Casey has a book called The Lady and the Spy. Oh, okay. And it's, uh, right after the first of the year, and she meets her girlfriend in a, in a tea shop, 
basically, and they're there, and they're, and they're enjoying different right. um, candies and things as they catch up on the bus. I like that. That there That's nice. There you go. You have got the hang of this. Well, kind of. Cinnamon. Cinnamon. Uh... See, for me, I go back to the court, the court of thorns and roses series because the smells that she always wrote into the books are mm -hmm. just amazing. It, they really are. So uh, that's that's my choice. I'm gonna go It would give it a very different taste. I will. I will give you that. Yeah. yeah. To add it in with um, some sort of fruit to, to um, give it an enticing smell. Yeah, that's that's very true. And your last but not least word is coffee. Coffee. I'm gonna go with the drugs and files on that one. I think a hairy drink. He really does, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Dresden Files and Coffee. Did you actually um, see the TV series? I did see the TV series. What was your um, thoughts? Not as good as the book? No. It's I was good. Th it's yeah. good, but it's, it's way different, and I think it's way different because the... When, it, when I first tried it, the CGI wasn't capable of putting that, um, putting that world together the way readers expect to see it. Um, yeah, I would agree. We talked about Twilight, and Stephanie Meyer um, had this really interesting interview because they were getting, they were getting so much pushback in the cast the movie about who were, who were cast specific people. Yeah, um, and there was so much pushback about Bella, and she said, "Women, women will never like the people who are connected to the book will have a very difficult time with anybody who passes Bella because they know they don't think they think of themselves because yeah. they see themselves as a character." And I think with something like the Dresden Files, readers expect to see iconic things about the series that at the time they did the series the first time technology couldn't catch in on those expectations. I think it would be different. Yep. I think if they did it now, if they had Benedict play him, that would be incredible. I think he would really pull it off. And I think he could really do the humor to it. Yes. 
because he's really done a lot of different stuff as a British actor and I think it would just give him that Dresden vibe through it. I don't think they should have censored it as the way that they did um, because if you remember the shower scene wasn't the same and it was like the sex wasn't the same in there. So I think if they, they fix that then it would be it would be really good. Um, yeah. I think Jim was a bit disappointed in how it went too. So I think if they ever get permission from him to do it again, it could be really I'm, awesome. I'm hoping so, yes. Yeah. I mean there's a lot of relaunches happening, so you never know. You never you never know. Everybody's catching up with everything. I'm, I'm hoping Netflix or Prime picks it up and put some money yeah. behind it and do an awesome do an awesome opportunity. Yeah, it would and I mean they're they've read on Charmed and you know, that's that's been relaunched, so yeah, you never know. Never know. So that is the end of our podcast, and it has been an absolute delight to have you on. And I hope that in the near future, you and me will be back on and we'll be doing a special um, show talking about maybe my book signing with your company and, you know, the excitement about doing that and talking a little bit about the characters. I hope so too. Yeah, I mean, we're super popular in Texas for some reason. Hey, we love that. I know, I'm like, the the number one state that loves this show is Texas. Yay! I love that, see? That, that international appeal. Yeah, and, and our second uh, strongest state was California. So, I think that's a lot of my wrestling buddies um, taking the mickey out of me on that one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're heard over the world. I mean, we are getting really strong listens in Canada, um, America, Australia, New Zealand, Britain, and uh, we're now even being heard in Russia, you know, of all places. So um, yeah, I think Iran is the new one to, no, Israel. Israel was our newest um, country to join us. So that was cool because um, I was actually just checking the numbers there as I was about to wrap up. I thought, oh, I better check and see what our our, our state leading uh, podcast is doing. So, yeah, and uh, so it's fantastic. I I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you'll want to come back. I would uh, love to come back. Thank you so much. Yeah. So when your when your next one's due, you'll have to get in touch with me and. Uh, We'll have to organize having you on again. And maybe you can invite some of the other ladies to come on. I think they I, would love that. I think they would. I think they would. We might be able to do a group. Yeah, I, I've never done a group one. So that could be interesting. <laughs> all of us trying to well, share stuff. Well, we talk over each other. So, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, what we'll do is we'll have hand signals. So, like, one person will have this number. And then we'll all have different numbers. So if we want to talk, we hold our number up. Um, magic stick style, you know? Yes, exactly. Everybody has the talking stick. Who has the talking stick? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, um, it has been fun, guys. You're going to want to come back next week as we might have an incredible European listener joining us. And uh, I did his review this year, so that should have you all tapping your feet wondering. So it has been a pleasure, and... Goodbye for now.